Welcome to the I Want to Know podcast. I'm Josh Spector, and I am your host. If you don't know who I am, I'm the creator of the For the Interested newsletter, which you can check out at fortheinterested.com. If you're new here, welcome. This podcast exists to help creative entrepreneurs get their questions answered. It's really simple. In each episode, a different guest comes on and asks me three questions. We have about a 10-minute conversation about each of them, and that's it. Hopefully, it helps the guest. Hopefully, it helps you. And we give you some actionable tips you can use to grow your audience and business. Today's guest is Mark Modesti. Mark heads up content marketing for an agency in the Dallas, Texas area. He and his two partners also create websites and offer branding for small businesses, mostly SaaS and tech companies. Mark was with UPS for 32 years, most recently as a supply chain consultant prior to starting down this new path. And also, I should say, I appreciate Mark's patience because he originally asked me these questions months ago before I had even launched the podcast. And I said, you know what? Those are really good questions. I think I'm going to launch a podcast. So let's let's have you come on and we can discuss them then. So this then is now. And with that in mind, hey, Mark, welcome to the show. Thank you, Josh. I've been looking forward to this. I love your, this podcast idea. It's typical Josh Spector stuff. How can you help out the audience? So <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. So yeah, I'm really looking forward to to talking about your questions and, and I think they'll help a lot of people. They're somewhat hypothetical, but they certainly gave me some stuff to think about, about how I would actually do it. So I found it helpful thinking about answers and, and I'm sure other people are going to find it helpful or hopefully they'll find it helpful listening to those answers. So let's get into it. What is the first thing you want to know? So Knowing what and who you know now, um, if you were to start over today from zero with a goal to get to six figures as quick as possible, how would you do it? Okay. So I've got a bunch of thoughts about this, but before I get into them, I'm, I have to admit, I'm curious. Why, why are you asking this? Why is it something that you, you're curious to know? Well, a lot of people... So I'm, this is a second career for me and uh -huh. it's going well. I'm, I'm happy with my progress, but I know a lot of people are anxious when they're in the situation I'm in and I was more anxious than I am now. I'm getting closer to goals, mm -hmm. but I'm just curious now thinking if I were to start over, I, I can think of some things I'd do differently, but then I thought, I wonder what Josh would do different. So that's really the, yeah. I think a lot of people are in a hurry to get to an income that they had before. And I know that yep. could be caused problems, but anyway, that's the genesis. Yeah, no, I, I, that definitely makes sense. Let me start here and say, first of all, in general, again, this is sort of a hypothetical scenario, but in general, I'm not driven by financial goals. That doesn't mean that I don't need to make money. And again, six years ago, I left a pretty well-paying full-time job to go out on my own. So I am not, I don't have a trust fund. I'm not independently wealthy. It's not, I completely relate to the like, you know, when I started, I was like, I hope I can figure out how to make this work because, you know, but I didn't go into it saying I need to get to this number immediately. Right. So I understood that, like, okay, ultimately I gave up a job making this. I'd like to eventually get to this point, but I was sort of realistic that it was going to take some time. Right. So I tend to prioritize. And the reason I left a job that I liked was because I like to sort of have control of my time and the work that I do and 
et cetera. So in some ways, my answer, I'm answering this question, but it's not exactly the way I, I approach things. That said, I'm going to, for this hypothetical, pretend it was the way I approach things, or I really quickly needed to get to that number as soon as possible. So if I had a specific number I had to hit no matter what, and I know the hypothetical number in this case is $100,000, and I'm assuming we'll say 100000 a year, here's what I would do. The first thing is I would absolutely focus on consulting or a service as opposed to creating a product. The reason for that is in terms of amount of money in a short term, I think it is easier to make more money in the short term with a higher price service or something as opposed to a lower price product. So that's where in terms of speed to get to that rate, that's where I would focus. You can charge more typically and you need fewer sales to make more money typically. The next thing I would do is I would do the math, right? As with any goal. So if I want to make 100000 a year, what do I actually need to do that? Basically, I need to make on average about 8300 a month. So with that in mind, I'd go, okay, well, what do I need to do to make 8300 a month with some sort of service or consulting? And I would most likely, again, it depends on sort of a lot of variables, but in general, I'd probably aim to create some kind of service that I could charge between 2000 to 5000 per month for clients if I didn't think something higher was, obviously the higher the better, but realistically, if I was starting from scratch and didn't know anything, I would not want to, for example, create a service that I could only charge $500 for. Because if I want to make 8300 a month and I'm only charging, five, I'm going to need a lot of clients. Two to 5,000 a month seems sort of low enough that it's feasible, but high enough that I don't need that many people to say yes to get to that eight, roughly 8,000 a month. The other thing I would do, and again, this is different from how I approach my business currently, but I would probably aim for a service that would be an ongoing retainer client, right? So right now I do mostly project-based work. So consulting clients I have typically, with a couple exceptions, but typically it's a one to three month engagement at most. I would instead focus on selling a service where if I get a client, it's a 12 month engagement, right? If I get someone paying me $5,000 a month, whatever that service is, is something they're going to continue to need or want. So one $5,000 client is 60,000 a year, right, right off the bat, right? As opposed to having to continually find new people. The other thing I would do is I would try to come up with a very simple, very unique service to offer. Nothing too complicated that it needs a lot of explaining and people don't understand it. I would try to find something that there's not a million different people offering that same thing, right? Or find some twist on it that made me a little unique to lower the, lower the competition. And I wouldn't worry too much about if it's ultimately what I want to do, right? So whereas now I'm very focused on the type of work that I want to do in this scenario, if again, my main goal is I got to get to that, that hundred thousand a year, that would come secondary, right? So I'd be like, all right, maybe this isn't exactly what I want to do, but I think this can work. So let me get up to speed and I'll sort of shift down the road. A good example of this, and I've done some of this in the past, you know, when I was starting out. So I don't want to do ghostwriting for people, right? 
I don't want to write social. I have done this in the past though. Like I don't want to write social posts for them. I don't want to write blog posts for them. I, I don't really want to do that. That said, I know I can do it. I know it's valuable. And if my main goal was to make, was to make money as fast as possible, that would be a lever I might pull. So that's an example of something that, whereas now that's not something I do because I don't want to, but in this scenario, I, it is something I might do or might offer. The other thing I would try to do is once I figured out whatever the service was, I figure out some sort of upsell so that when I get a client and it goes well, how can I take that client? What else can I do to take that client from spending 2000 a month to 4000 a month? Is there some way that I can sort of increase the money I get from a, a happy client? So one example of that is if I did the ghostwriting where let's say someone's paying me to write a bunch of tweets or social posts for them, maybe the upsell is I actually do social media management for them too. So instead of just giving them the written posts, I say, hey, you know what? For an extra thousand a month, 2000 a month, whatever, I will also do the posting and manage your accounts, right? So that's the way to turn a $2,000 client into a $4,000 client or something like that. With all of this said, while I would be focused on a service business and clients, I would, as that gets up and running, create some sort of scalable info product, course, ebook, templates, something, so that as I'm pursuing clients and I come across someone who's like, yeah, this is really interesting, but I can't afford to pay you 5,000 a month or 2,000 a month or whatever, that I have something that I could offer them for $100 one time. $500 one time, $1,000 one time, something to just capitalize on those leads that can't become clients, but there's a way to sort of create some ancillary revenue. It wouldn't be my main focus, but it would be since I'm sort of doing it anyway, is there an easy way? I'm working with these clients. I'm, you know, can I sort of repurpose some of my client work into another uh, revenue stream? So that is basically what I would do. And then the other thing, just a couple notes in terms of like how I would try to get clients and find people. If in this scenario, I can use my relationships, I would try to get booked on podcasts. I would try to leverage other people's audiences to sort of get awareness of what I have to offer. And I would probably, similar to what I do now, start a newsletter, be active on Twitter, aim it very specifically at the target audience I was going after, you know, and, and really focus it on that. Very similar to what I do now, but to attract the sort of people I want. So in that hypothetical world, who knows if it would work or not, but that, that, that would be my, that would be my initial game plan to get to a hundred thousand really quickly. Any questions about anything I just said, or should we get to your next question? Well, that makes a lot of sense. And, and would you have well, you said consulting. So would that be kind of your high-priced offering? Yeah. Upgrade to? Yeah. yeah. And I say yeah. consulting, but I think what I really mean is it would be some, it would be service versus product. So what I mean by that is I'm not creating a course and just going to try to sell it as many times as possible. I'm going to create some sort of probably one-to-one -one service for people. I lean towards consulting because that's my background. But if I was a coder, it might be a software service, you know, like it could be anything. Typically services you can sell for more than products. So that my, my main goal would be 
I want to be able to hit a hundred thousand with as few people as possible saying yes, as opposed to low price product. And now I got to reach the masses because often it varies, but often if you think about it, you know, if you have a two, let's say you have built whatever your audience is, your email list, whatever, if you have a 2% conversion rate of people buying your product, you're doing pretty well. But if you're selling a hundred dollar product to get to a hundred thousand dollars, and only 2% of people who know it exists are converting, you got to reach a lot of people. And that takes time. So that's why I would lean towards service initially. Okay. That makes sense. Oh, yeah. Okay. So what is the second thing you want to know? Well, it's similar and hypothetical. <laughs> yep. So how would you do it if you didn't have the relationships or the status, let's say, or the know-how that you have now? And I know that's tricky because, well, yeah, that's, it's good though. It's a good question. It's basically like, oh yeah, great answer. All right. Now let's up, now let's up the ante and make the challenge even tougher. So yeah, so this is good, right? So I had to think about this because like you said, it is hard to imagine like, okay, well, let's just forget I've done anything or have any knowledge or, so I really tried to approach this as if I knew nothing about anything and was starting completely from scratch. You know, I've worked at a carnival for the last 20 years and all of it <laughs> and all of it, you know, or I was an NBA player and then it doesn't translate or whatever. So here's the first thing I would say. The first thing I would say is if I had no expertise, no relationships, no audience, completely starting from scratch and wanted to make a hundred thousand a year, uh, the first thing I would do is I'd consider just getting a job to be perfectly honest. Like I see a lot of people who are like, oh, I wanna be an entrepreneur. And you see this, especially with a lot of young people coming right out of school. And I think they look at people like me who have built sort of successful solopreneur, creative entrepreneur business. And the piece that they missed is I had a 20 year career before I started doing this, right? And I think a lot of times, even if you ultimately want to become an entrepreneur, both financially and in terms of what you're going to learn and relationships you're going to develop, you know, the best thing you can do a lot of times is go get a job in, a, in, in related to a field or a thing, go get some experience as opposed to just trying to figure it all out on your own. And you can do that simultaneously. You know, for years I had side projects and blogs and newsletters and whatever. So I'm, I'm not saying not to do that. And look, for years of my career, I was like, I was constantly almost leaving, right? To go do my own thing. So I get it. I, you know, I understand it, but I do think a lot of times jobs can be underrated, especially when people don't have that experience in any of that stuff. So that aside, aside from getting a job, the first thing that I would do Again, similar to what I said before, where I'd focus on service as opposed to product, but I would get hyper-focused on getting one client, find one person that could hire me and whatever service I'm offering, obviously I need to do a great job, but have it be a service that offers a very tangible result, right? So that this person hires me to do something and at the end of me doing it for them or as I'm doing it for them, it's very easy to measure that whatever I have done has basically paid for itself. So one of the things that gets weird is, you know, I would be much more likely to help someone, for example, 
let's say, rewrite their sales page. And you can see if sales go up and you can see how much revenue that generated. That's very different than, let me help someone with their brand. Let me help someone change their Twitter bio. Tough to tell. Maybe it is better, but it's not as clear the tangible results of that. So if I'm starting from scratch, I need a case study that proves you paid me X, you got Y out of it, right? And I need one client that, that, that I can really make that work. Because if I can get one client and make it work, I can then take that to anyone else that's like them. And I have proof that like, look, here's what's going to happen. You're going to pay me X. And this is what's going to happen. Here's exactly how it worked. And that will make the sales process way easier. And if I couldn't get one client to take a chance on me, I'd even do it for free if I had to. Find one person using this example. Let me rewrite your sales page. Let's measure the results. Let me use that you know, as a case study that I can take to go get more people. So that's one thing I would do. Another thing I would do is I would consider... If I had no expertise, this is another thing I see a lot of times is people are starting businesses based on monetizing their expertise, but they don't necessarily have a lot of expertise yet. Or they're not starting any business because they're like, I don't have any expertise. I don't know what to do. And all you have to do is sell value. It doesn't necessarily have to be your own expertise. So with that in mind, I would consider trying to start some kind of curated service in a specific niche that didn't rely on my own expertise if I didn't have it yet. For example, could I do, could I sell some sort of research reports in some industry where it's not my expertise, but I'm doing the research and compiling or interviewing people and compiling the expertise of others that is valuable, right? The curation piece of this. Could I create some sort of version of like Angie's List, right? or be essentially a matchmaker or referral service in a particular industry. If, if you know, let's say there are people out there that are looking to hire social media agencies and maybe I'm not good enough or have enough credentials to be the social media agency they hire, but could I go to them and say, hey, I've interviewed and studied and talked to clients of 20 different social media agencies in Los Angeles, let's say for small businesses. And I can help you pick the right one, right? I'm the go-between, I'm the matchmaker. Doesn't have to be my expertise, but that's really helpful. And you could see how you could see how someone would, would pay for that. The other thing I would do is I would consider creating something that I could offer as a service to increase existing customer revenue for people and take a cut of that. So what I mean by that is I would look to find people that already have a product or service that is selling, right? There's already revenue being generated. So for example, I could go to someone who sells a course and offer to write an email sales campaign for them to get their existing audience to buy more, right? I'd say, you have this course, you sold it to X amount of people in your audience. Let me write three emails for you that you can send to your audience and I'll take 20% of any additional sales that generates no, no risk to you, right? If I believed I was good at writing sales emails or that kind of thing. So again, looking for like, where is there already transaction and revenue being generated? 
And what can I do to help increase that and then just take a cut of the increase, right? Making it a no-brainer for them. Again, it has to work like with anything, right? I have to be good at it and it has to you know, provide value. But if I can do that, then that's an easy way to do it as opposed to trying to find new people and trying to find whatever. Another thing along those lines is, you know, I could find someone who has some expertise and maybe has what I call business overflow, right? So they have more potential clients coming in than they can handle, right? And or they charge $10,000 and they have a lot of people that only have a $2,000 budget. And right now they're just basically turning those people down, right? I could go to that person and say, okay, you have whatever method you have. What if you can sort of teach me, show me how to do your method. And I'll take all those people that can only afford $2,000 and I'll give you $1,000. You don't have to do any work. Just filter me your extra clients and leads. You'll get extra money. And for me, I'm, you know, as opposed to me having to go find, find new clients, I'm able to sort of just tap into someone who's already done a lot of the, the marketing work. You know, I had a client who's a career transition coach, and she was telling me that right now the majority of her clients are coming from her own coach who charges more and can't deal, can only work with so many people. And so she sort of trained her and said, I'll give you all the overflow. And it's, she's built a whole business just on doing that. She's now in the phase of figuring out how to attract her own people, because obviously that's a little risky long-term, but short-term, it actually is a really good shortcut to sort of get to revenue. The other thing I would say is I would, and this would be my last thing in terms of how to find people, I'd create a newsletter or a podcast or a blog or something that I could use to grow the audience and more importantly, get direct conversations with potential clients something that gives people who don't know me a reason to talk to me without me just cold pitching them. So if my ideal clients were course creators, right, I might start a newsletter or podcast or video channel or whatever it was where I interview course creators. Because now instead of reaching out to the course creator and saying, hey, I want to pitch you my service, I say, hey, I want to feature you on my show. And they say, oh, I'd love to. And then we have an interview and it gets me in the door and gets a relationship. And then it, that can lead to all sorts of different things. I think a lot of, you know, that sort of functioning like a media company or media outlet gets you access to people that are otherwise just going to ignore your sales pitch. So that would be the other thing I would do to try to get on the, the radar of people. I don't know if any of that stuff would work. But that, that's what I would try. So let me, let me ask you, of all the stuff I just said, do you have any questions about it? Or which of those ideas popped at you of like, that you would be most likely to try if you were going to, in the same situation? That idea of helping someone with the overflow is excellent. Mm -hmm. I, I could see that being a help to them. Yep. And benefiting from their, not only their overflow, but their also their experience. Yeah. You count yeah, it's like an it's like an apprenticeship. Yeah, and it's free money. It's free money for them. And I think there are more people than most people probably realize who have overflow of that's stuff. That's really uh, especially once they've gotten to a to a certain point. Yeah, cool. All right, so let's get to your your third question. What's the third thing you want to know? 
So I've heard you in the past say that, you know, your business has changed over the years. And I'm wondering, did you deliberately set out to rebrand or did you just decide you wanted to serve a different client or what drove those decisions? And then maybe a little bit on how you did the rebranding part, but that's another chart. That might be another tangent. I'm going to answer that by saying yes and no. So first of all, I'll say every business is to me and is in a constant state of evolution. So I don't think, and I think of it as evolution. I don't think of it as hard pivot. I stopped doing this and now I do this. Maybe once in a blue moon that happens, but I think in most cases it's, it's constantly evolving, right? So I, the way I view it is like my business is always sort of on this spectrum. It's always changing. The other thing I would say about this in terms of rebranding and brand, I think a lot of people misunderstand brand. Like to me, your brand is what you do, not what you say you do. So yes, messaging and positioning is important. I can say my brand is X, Y, and Z for A, B, and C people. But if the content I create, the ideas I share, the services I provide don't align with that, then that's not actually my brand. My brand is what other people say my brand is, right? So that alignment is really, really important. And I think alignment is something I see people struggle with or get wrong all the time where they'll tell me, you know, my target audience is this. And then I go look at their stuff and I'm like, you don't even mention that or those people anywhere. So which, which is it, right? Or you're, you're saying that you help people do this, but your service doesn't do that, right? So that alignment's really important. So for me, that evolution has happened over years and continues to happen. The other thing I would say along those lines is while it's important to be deliberate in what you do and think about what your brand is and what you want it to represent, it's not about, and I never have sort of announced a rebrand. Right. So even though over the, over time, my target audience and services and everything have shifted, I never actually came out and said, I don't do this anymore. I do this now. I'm not for these people. I'm for those people. The content in my newsletter has evolved. I never said, you're never going to see this anymore. I just started shifting the content. And some people over time would go, well, he's not really sharing the stuff that I used to like, and they left. And other people were like, oh, wow, this is exactly what I'm looking for. And they came on. So I'm deliberate about it, but I don't necessarily publicly sort of announce that stuff. I kind of let, let it evolve. In general, for me, over time, and I think this is very common, I think this is how it is for most people, that evolution tends to narrow, not broaden. So my focus has consistently narrowed as opposed to broadened. And I think that part of that is that the more you do, both from a content standpoint and a product service standpoint, the more you do, the more you realize what you don't want to do. This is a key thing. And, and I do a series of skill session workshops. People can check them out at joshspector.com slash sessions. And I, the last one I did was called the niche definer. And it's all about basically this idea of how do you figure out and clarify and message your niche and essentially your, your brand. And I start that presentation off by 
using the analogy of a sculptor. And there's this great Michelangelo quote where he says, every block of stone has a statue inside it, and it's the task of the sculptor to discover it. That's how I think about niche and brand. I started with a block of stone, and as I'm figuring out what I don't want to do and who I don't want to serve, I'm chiseling away at it. I'm removing the things I don't want and the people I don't want to serve. And this is very different than I think how most people think about brand and niche. Because I think most people think they're picking, they're picking something out of sort of the air. This will be my niche. I think you're starting with all this stuff that could potentially be your niche. And you're just removing stuff. And that's the narrowing that I was talking about before. So the way this has played out for me, just giving one example in recent years, is I went from sort of defining my audience as creators a couple of years ago to now I define them as creative entrepreneurs. What's the difference as I, as I define it, right? To me, creative entrepreneurs are building their own business around their creations. They're not just randomly creating things or hoping someone else picks them. And this was an evolution over time where I started to realize who are the clients I most like to work with? What are the topics I most like to talk about? What do I find most valuable? And I realized that there were a lot of people who were creators who they just wanted to make things. Either they wanted the vanity metrics or they wanted to just make money on YouTube ads or they were comedians who wanted to just get cast in a show or picked by a booker. They wanted someone to pick them. They were trying to appeal to the gatekeepers. Then there were others. They were much more entrepreneurial. I want to build a business around my creations. And I realized that was who I wanted to work with, right? I didn't just want to tell someone how to get more followers. I wanted to tell them how to turn their followers into a business. So I started to think about how do I define that? And creators is broader and kind of includes both of those sides. And I was like, well, creative, I came up with sort of creative entrepreneurs to suggest that like, yeah, they're doing create. Cause I also didn't want entrepreneurs who are just like, I'm just pure business. Like I do want people that are using creativity and creations to do that. So how that played out, I never made an announcement and said, I no longer serve creators. I now serve creative entrepreneurs. I just started literally every time I would use the word creators, I'd catch myself and go, nope, creative entrepreneurs. Change my messaging. Just start doing that. The, the articles and stuff I would write and curate in my newsletter I'm no longer going to do this sort of just general creator stuff. It's all going to have a little bit of like a business tint to it. And so by default, that's what I mean, where it's like what you do defines your brand. It without sort of, it was a conscious decision, but not a announcement, not a proclamation. It just shifted and people could see that. And as a result, I had fewer comedians reaching out to hire me and more coaches, consultants, biz, you know, creative business people reaching out to me because it reflected what I was putting out there, both in messaging and content. Yeah. What was real, what's been really interesting about this is, and this sort of brings it full circle about like the brand defining itself. I've now started to see in emails I get from people and comments people referring to them. I'm a creative entrepreneur who does blah, blah, blah. No one ever used that phrase before. 
And I'm not saying I coined it. There's other people using it. But it was really interesting for me to see my own audience suddenly referring to themselves using this term that I don't remember anyone saying to me before I started using it in the definition of my audience. So that's where the brand, it, 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 creates, it creates this sort of snowball effect where it feeds on itself. And so now other people start using that term. And now when people see it with me, like it starts to become kind of in the, in the lexicon. So that's how, that's how I think about it and how I've approached it. But I think universally, the key takeaways I think are one, you're not just randomly picking a brand or picking a new one, right? You're finding it and narrowing it by removing it from a block of expertise and products and service and content and everything that you have. And the, the language and the choices and the things that you do are ultimately going to define it no matter, no matter what you say. Is that all? How does, how does that all sit? That makes so much sense. It's not rebranding. It's evolving. That metaphor really works. Yeah. And it's going to like make course corrections more than it is, okay, we're going to make a right turn. And instead of signaling, I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to make the correction or, you know, show yeah. them. It's kind of variation of show them, don't tell them. Yeah. And I think it takes the other nice thing about that when you, when you wrap your head around that is it removes a lot of the pressure. Cause I think people get really freaked out of like, I need to make this drastic change. I'm going in the wrong direction, or I'm not sure which way I want to go, or I'm not whatever. And when you realize that, you know, cause you could be wrong, right? I can, you can take steps in that direction of a change and see how it feels without sort of having to go, I need to change everything. I need a new brand name and a new logo. And now I do this. And now it's like, just sort of make the change and see how it feels and see yeah. where people go. And also being realistic. Like I am very realistic that if we have another conversation a year, two years from now, it's very likely I will have evolved into sort of something else, right? Like, I don't believe that like, oh, I picked this thing and now this is it forever. I just know that it will continually evolve. Yeah, makes perfect sense. Love cool. So for people that are interested to follow you, connect with you, I know you're, you're on Twitter. I know that's where we've connected. Tell anyone where they can follow you, check you out, any of that stuff. So if you search my name, you'll see my LinkedIn connection. You, know, you can check out my TED Talk I did back in 2015. Or you can, yeah. Oh, cool. What was the topic? The Argument for Trouble. Oh, nice, nice title. I like it. Now everyone, people will definitely be curious to check that out. So thanks so much for the questions. They were great. As far as my stuff, anyone who's watching or listening, rate and review it. I really appreciate that. My newsletter, you can get it for theinterested.com slash subscribe. Skill sessions, including that niche definer, joshspector.com slash sessions consulting. If you want to become one of my clients, joshspector.com slash consulting. I'm on Twitter all day, every day at jspector. If you would like to come on the podcast as a guest and ask me some questions, go to joshspector.com slash questions and you can apply. And I think that's about it. Thanks everyone for your interest. I will see you or be in your earbuds next week. I appreciate it, Mark. Thanks again. Absolutely. Thank you.